Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. This week on the panel we have Alan Weimar. Hello. And me, I'm Sasha Wolf. Just the two of us, but we have a special guest. And this week we have with us Wojtek Mach. Wojtek, why don't you tell the audience why we invited you and what we are going to talk about today? Hey everyone. Yeah, I'm Wojtek and I guess we are going to talk about Live Desktop. Which, yeah, pretty, pretty excited to talk about it. But yeah, happy to elaborate on any uh, or all parts. Yeah, nice. I'm, I'm actually look, really looking forward to that because I feel it's one of the areas where in the Elixir ecosystem there's been a bit of movement over the past few months. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. But maybe first things first, uh, you're with Dashbit, right? So like maybe you can tell the audience a little bit like about yourself and also how you ended up at Dashbit and how you ended up working on this thing. And then I think we can go from there, like why you are building this, right? Uh, sounds good. Yeah. So yeah, I'm working at Dashbit. I'm based in Krakow, uh, Poland, but we are all working remotely, basically. I think I have joined uh, Dashbit maybe four years ago or something. I think it should be about four years. So I've been working with some great colleagues a while. But yeah, uh, like before that, I was working for a Netherlands-based startup. But I basically started working professionally with Elixir in 2016 and kind of looking and, and that was the year where, where I basically where I basically kind of focused on Elixir, focused more. I, I've been looking at it since I think 2014 maybe, but in 2016 I really started to focus on it. That's so some of my kind of first contributions uh, to the to the ecosystem was I was basically learning Elixir by writing PRs to the Hex uh, PM uh, mm -hmm, project, mm -hmm. and Eric was very kind and very patient uh, with these. And down the down the road, he invited me to uh, be on the Hex team. So I've been there since, and that was a lot of fun. We were able to create some really nice nice projects and kind of keep the keep the lights on. And yeah, as I mentioned, I. Work, I have been working with Dashbit since about four years ago, and we basically do two things at Dashbit. So we work with clients, and we like to say that we we want to help. We are helping companies adopt and run Elixir in production. So that's our that's kind of our main job. But what what we also do is we invest in the Elixir ecosystem. So we work at Atom on uh, open source libraries. So 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 recently Livebook, obviously, which we're going to talk about. <laughs> but other than that, we have you know Ecto, Xdoc, uh, Phoenix, some other Dashbit projects uh, like uh, Broadway and others, and then the, the the whole Elixir uh, machine learning ecosystem. 
you know? Yeah, it's pretty, which, pretty. Which I, I, sorry, to, yeah, which I think is fair to say that live book is a pretty important piece. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, I feel a lot of buzz, also like newsletters and everything, right? Like, it tends to be about live book and what people do with live book. It's, it's definitely like a topic I see again, again, and again, and again coming up in the community. So when I saw that, that you're now working on the desktop app, my, my first thought was like, okay, yeah, but, it seems like the natural next step because I, I did double a bit of life, but I haven't really done anything big with it yet, right? But I, I was always like, hey, like, no, you have to set it up on your local machine to get it to run. So the, the Lifeboot desktop app was certainly something where, uh, let's just say, I wasn't surprised. Like, it made sense, you know? So why don't you give give us a brief little history, like, of, of, of like the series of events that led to, to you working on this thing, like, on the desktop app? Life yeah so so to me so kind of like personally like i always i think that the kind of out of the box experience is really important and mm. like, like you know even before elixir even before ruby like i i really started learning programming with php i think i'm allowed to say it was back in the day but i think so and importantly for me was that like the out of the box experience was pretty pretty good like you know i i was a teenager i was able to download this one program at the i think lamp stack or you know the equivalent on windows and i i was basically able to do some you know programming see the results very quickly uh, so it kind of stuck with me the whole time and then there was like you know the nice and maybe not so not so nice part of it which was the deployment so again back in the day which maybe the younger listeners wouldn't 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 know this right but what would you do is you would ftp uh, to your production box and then just upload files right away there was yep. no, no gear I, no. I still remember that yep <laughs> yeah so so that was pretty wild but but like again kind of there were so many wrong parts about it but like on the other hand kind of stuff just worked right like there was no friction so so this kind of idea the out of the box experience like no friction i think kind of stuck with me uh, the whole time and that was one of the appeals for me of elixir that like you download elixir and you have a bunch of stuff ready to go so it's elixir itself but like mix and i think mix is just great as, as a build tool and then we we have you know xdoc and and hex and all that stuff so like really really nice set of tools and yeah. so and, and like importantly I, I would say that with elixir like a lot of these things so elixir mix EX and stuff like come uh, come included with the with the distribution, so you don't have to install them separately. So yeah, so like stuff like that is important to me. Let's say so when when LiveBook came about, uh, we started LiveBook with just LiveBook was just LiveBook, right? Like so, how how do we distribute it? Oh, so you know it's it's some Elixir project, so you can. We made an e script out of it. So if you already have the Elixir toolchain, you can. I think the command is something like mix e script install and then either GitHub or Hex. But like, so that would be one way to to install LiveBook. But but it requires you to have already the toolchain installed on your machine. And I think that that is totally fine if you know if you are already an Elixir developer. But I would say that one of the important Parts or, or like maybe a lot of potential of LiveBook is to be a tool that kind of brings people to, to Elixir. And so if like if you require you to install Elixir first, oh, and then by the way, you actually need OTP first. And then, oh, like 
actually you need OpenSSL, maybe like a very particular version mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. other stuff like that. It's uh, it's a lot of friction, right? So the second uh, installation mechanism that we had for Livebook was we creating, we maintain Docker images. So if you already have Docker, it's very easy to, to run Livebook. And like... Well, I, I guess the maybe maybe the the logic like logical next step was to have kind of like the do, kind of the parts that the Docker is good at, which is bringing everything together, but like without Docker. So that would be the like native native installation method. So that's the Livebook desktop. Basically, it's a it's a distribution of Livebook that contains everything that you need to run Livebook on your operating system. We support Mac and Windows at the moment. And basically, you download this one file from, from our website. And yeah, you are, after installing it, using that one file, you are ready to go. So our goal is that... So, so like without it, let's say what, what you would have to do. Well, you would have to install, as I mentioned, install Elixir, install OTP, install OpenSSL. You, you don't need to do any of that. And as a matter of fact, it should totally work if you have a blank slate, totally new installation of your operating system, no dev tools, it should just work. If it if it doesn't, that's a bug that we will fix. I found a bug then. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's hear it. Oh. Yeah, I feel bad for, for not reporting it, but like I was in the middle of showing somebody who, yeah. so he was like, yeah, yeah, I really want to do more machine learning and I, I want to do more Python because I, we do Elixir over here. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, check this out. And I showed it to him. And then I, I double clicked it to open up on a Mac and it gave me an error message. And I was like, well, it should work. And then I had to quickly change subject, right? Because uh, yeah, he's a Python fanatic. So when I sh- try to show him this kind of Jupyter-like notebook for Elixir and try to talk him more into Elixir and NX, he it didn't help my case out at the time. So <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. We did have... It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I it's my fault for not recording it because I'm like, yeah, I should report that. And I totally forgot. I'll see if I can report it, what's going on, because uh, it's good to hear that it actually should work out of the box. So um, I wonder what the problem was because the person's computer who I was using now is like somebody who just writes emails. Like, so like even Chrome, I don't think they haven't have installed. So it should really be a really good use case where it should be working. Yeah. So like I I tested, I tried testing it on fresh uh, virtual massive, uh, fresh VMs. It it worked on my box, right? So many like different yeah. scenarios and uh, use cases, but yeah, if if you can if you can reproduce, we are happy to look into that. Well, that, sure. that's how it always goes, right? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, this is still a very fresh thing, and you're, you're going to run into situations like that. I, I actually, arguably, I would have been more surprised if nobody at all didn't find any kind of edge cases where this doesn't work. Right. <laughs> so yeah, in, in some um, in some sense, it, it's maybe like. It's gonna sound silly, right? But like, because people report bugs, it means that like people are actually trying to use it, which is yeah, nice yeah, to, definitely, to definitely. Um, I'm actually curious. Like, I mean, lo- looking at it like kind of with hindsight, right? Like, here first live book, and then you say, okay, you have to install the local tool chain, but maybe you also have a Docker file. Now this desktop, it seems, seems like a natural evolution. But I'm actually uh, curious to maybe look a little bit, be- peek a little bit behind the curtain. Like, like how did this go at Dashbit? Like, how did you talk about that? Right? Like, was it just clear? from the get-go, hey, we want to do this Lifebook thing and like desktop app, sure, that's the thing we aim for? Or was it more of like an iterative, evolutionary kind of approach where like at some point somebody, maybe you, said, hey, what if we build a desktop app, right? Yeah, that's a very good question. I... I'm afraid that I don't actually remember the origin story of this, but I think the I would say the whole time, like the whole team, 
was keen on having this very nice out of the box experience. So the I, I think the desktop was kind of the nat- natural natural next step. Yeah, because like again, it, it was kind of natural, but like also kind of we wanted to avoid going through the through the hoops for new users. And like I think as the live book is still, you know, uh, we we still we still develop it. There is still a ton of work to do. But like for me personally, it would be really cool if you know if people could use live book in classrooms and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it yeah. would be very nice if if there is this you know one one installation like one artifact that they can that they can run and it's kind of like very reproducible it's not like like oh you you know maybe you install this dependency this version and then it, it breaks like no we we kind of package everything up and that makes it much more um, th- this way uh, like we expect it to work b- because it's kind of like more deterministic so, so to speak yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense to me and i definitely can see the appeal of, of, of having it like this first kind of introduction thing to elixir i definitely see, see the value on that um in general like how, how does it go when, when, when you work on a project like life focus they're like how big is team there working on this? Like, do you regularly come together and also figure out, okay, where do we want to go next? Or, I mean, you said at Dashbit, you also work with, with, with customers. Is, are there some people who only work with customers? Or, or is it like a rota- rotation kind of thing? I'm just yeah. curious to see like what, what the kind of the, uh, the development model there is. Yeah, so in terms of working with customers, that would be uh, three of us. So Joseph, Philip, Sampaio, and myself. And the rest of the team is uh, 100% open source. Mm-hmm. Which is which is really nice. And then in terms of Livebook desktop, I would say that like I mean, so technically, you know, I have commit access, so I can I can push whatever I want, but I, I really don't 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 contribute to parts of Livebook outside of the desktop. So that's the I think mainly uh, Jonathan. And then we also have uh, Chris and Alec uh, working on some really exciting upcoming new features for Livebook. But like, so I would say that what, what the Livebook team wo- works is like the Livebook core, so the infrastructure, the the editor. And then recently there was a lot of work around smart cells. And then yeah, and then there is gonna be some exciting new stuff that I'm not quite ready to talk about yet. <laughs> so just a little. Uh, just a little tease for you. <laughs> I'm going to keep my eyes open. Yeah. For this new stuff, though, I mean, is this, how do you guys work on new stuff without talking about it? Because it is in the open source, right? So if we're viewing the, the repository, can we see everything or am I wrong? Yeah, you can, you can see everything. Yeah. So if we take the time to actually research, we could find out what's going on. But if oh, you yeah. just won't tell us. <laughs> yep. There's I always find that process very weird. <laughs> it, it, it is kind of weird, but. But you know, it works because I'm too lazy to go check it out right now. So it's working. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we would occasionally work in like private repos that we would only, you know, make public once once we announce mm-hmm. stuff. But yeah, a lot of I would say most of the work is is in the open. Like if you like even about the desktop, maybe maybe it was teased at at some like event or or, or something. But like all of my PRs to the desktop stuff were you know public from from day one so someone could totally be up to date by just yeah, following the repo which which i think is pretty cool that like we are able to like you know if someone is interested they can always just look at the code and contribute yeah i'm always curious about like if you're working in like a private repo and then like somebody sends up something very similar to your work and you're like you want to tell the guy no need or whatever but you know you work on something secret like how do you handle this kind of situation but i'm I'm pretty sure that never happens yeah i don't i don't think that that happened 
often. Like wait, wait, you said often. Does that mean it does happen then? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I cannot think. Yeah, okay, yeah, I take it back. I, I cannot think of a of any particular example uh, right now. What I would say is that, like, even though you know, I would say that like we are not like super secretive either, right? Because I think it's mostly maybe like keeping keeping stuff private, just just so that like when we do launch it, we can control the story uh, better, as opposed to kind of as opposed to not to. So like even if we are working on like you know exciting new secret project, it's not like hundred percent secret. Like you can like if someone in the open is gonna ask about it, we are gonna respond. It also gets a different level of commitment as soon as you announce yeah. it, right? Like if, if you yeah. work on it a bit right. and you try something out, and like at that point you might still very much say, very well say, ah, okay, let's let's scrap it. It doesn't work out, right? But if as soon as you say, okay, you go out there and say, hey, this is the thing we're working on, it gets a different commitment kind of to it. I so, think, yeah. but I think there's only one thing that. Extra does for one feature, which is like the type, the types, right? It gets announced and pulled back, and gets announced again, and probably will get pulled back again. It's like I don't know why, for but for some reason, like in the community, that topic will get talked about openly, but everything else is kind of like on your just use Gleam, as we had Louis here two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah, types. I mean, I think types are maybe special in that, uh, in the sense that like across like many, many, many different ecosystems, like it's a content- very contentious topic. Mm. There is a lot of kind of different arguments, uh, unfair arguments and stuff like that. So yeah, maybe just because it's like, it's like that types are maybe kind of special. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we, we are going to get it right this time. <laughs> <laughs> oh really you have some information or, or we have to keep watching the repos now yeah no that that work is not in any repo but we have we have, we have a fantastic colleague uh, Gilliam that is working on on the, a lot of theory behind it so but on the other hand it's research and development there is no there is no like really no kind of there is no promises it's research yeah, yeah. But, uh, that's how it goes. We're all very excited about uh, the possibilities this, this may bring. I would like to come us like circle back to to, to Livebook, right? And um, I would actually be interested to hear from from you, Wojtek, like how, how I mean, you said you were not you know, that involved in like the whole Livebook development, but you were very much involved in like getting this shipped on desktop, right? So so how did this like happen? Like, did you at some point say, "Hey, I want to build this," or somebody came to you and then you started working on it, or did you like start to dabble on it in your free time? Like, how do I yeah. have to imagine this happening? Right? Yeah. Again, I don't I don't quite remember all all of the details, but I think I was pushing for it uh, for, mm-hmm. for having the desktop. Just because I thought it's again, you know, allowing to have this out of the box experience, and I think that I'm pretty sure that Jose said that like I like, do you really want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> like, do you really want to do this? And I said yes, and you know, many, many, many months afterwards, we um, we, we have something. But yeah, it was it was a lot of a lot of work, a lot a lot of kind of trial and error. Uh, so another thing that Josa said that kind of stuck with me was something like, I mean, half joke, half jokingly, right? But like, if you thought about, if you thought that like cross browser web dev- development is hard, <laughs> talk about cross platform development. Oh boy, I can imagine. <laughs> so like, I mean, you said you don't remember details, but like roughly maybe ten thousand feet overview. Like, how was your journey from from there? Hey, I want to do this to now. Okay, we have this thing now, and you can download it, right? Like, I guess 
the whole cross-platform UI topic is probably like a, a WX uh, Lang, right? It's probably something which which was difficult to deal with. I could would assume, but in general, yeah. like what were some of the major roadblocks you encountered? Right. So again, kind of like about about like even starting with uh, Elixir desk uh, with Livebook desktop. I see. I just I, I just made a common error. So I think it wouldn't be even possible if not for Elixir desktop. Uh, project, which is a project started mm-hmm. by uh, Dominic Letts. And he basically showed that, like, this is possible to have, you know, le- like, um, this app, this kind of like distribution of, uh, of Elixir. Uh, he, he even, I, I think this is, this has happened since we started the work, but like, he was even able to submit, uh, an app to the App Store, the iOS App Store. So pretty yeah, impressive yeah. stuff that, like, you know, compiling OTP just for, for, uh, for an iPhone or an iPad and kind of like packaging everything up. Um, so, like, even before we officially started Livebook Desktop, uh, our Livebook Desktop journey, we were already in contact with Dominic, and he has been super helpful since. So, Elixir Desktop is really about, let's say, the the whole kind of uh, yeah that like you can you can build a Phoenix app uh, with with a, basically a web view. So it's a native window with web view that's pointed to your to your app. And and so we when we started with Livebook, we wanted to tackle like in the same space, but we wanted to tackle like a, a subset of that problem, which was just the packaging part. So uh, like creating the appropriate bundle for operating system, patching up, packaging up the OTP and other dependencies, and then kind of be like maybe a little bit agnostic to how the application actually works, but like just doing the the bundling part. So uh, at that moment, which was about uh, I think a year ago or so, the uh, Dominic obviously already had like a lot a lot of a way to package everything up, but it was not mm-hmm. part of the Elixir desktop project. Uh, it was kind of you know maybe something on a side. So we wanted to, as part of the Livebook desktop project, we wanted to build this tool that would solve that problem. Well, the the bundling part. So since since day one, we had like an internal. It, in the sense, it it was part of the Livebook repository, but it was a separate project. Uh, we had a little project called App Bundler that that we still have there with an with an idea that like once we are once we are comfortable, we are going to extract to be. For it to be its own thing, but what a bundler does, it it so a bundler basically has two two parts. The first part is like um, configuration. You configure your application, so you set stuff like like what's the name of the application, what's the icon, but also uh, maybe more importantly, like some uh, unique features. I mean, features that we really need for Livebook, but kind of maybe more involved features. So like what. If custom file extensions does my application support, or what mm-hmm. custom URL schemes does my application support? So with the App Bundler, we have this configuration which you put into your uh, Nix release configuration. Again, you set stuff like icons or the URL extensions and stuff. And off of this uh, configuration, which is basically cross-platform, we we then go ahead and make it work. Uh, for uh, for different operating systems. So on Windows, we create the the application bundle, which which by the way, I I think it is pretty elegant how they did it. So an app is just a folder basically with a with a, with some kind of sub subfolders and some files in specific locations. So you can totally build an app yourself with just a bash script, for example. You just need to mm-hmm. put the bash script bash script into a specific place, uh, which which I think is super cool. 
Uh, but yeah, so on a Mac, we, we create the app and also we create the DMG. So the, that's the disk, disk image, which is like a very common way to install things. It's like the kind of drag this file into this applications directory or something. Um, on Windows, we have the, we, we create like a, a setup, like installation wizard. Yeah. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. I wanted to ask how much swearing did happen while you were figuring out all of this. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it was it was definitely a journey. So I I mean I I almost have forgotten like most of it, but I don't know. So bad, so bad. You forget <laughs> most of it. I I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah, it, it it was pretty bad. Like so, I, I would say that it was very it was very uh, it was a huge surprise that it, it was a huge surprise that uh, you know we were able to make it work in a very short amount of time so i would say that in a very short amount of time we got like the 80% done ah. but the but the final 20% was just uh, was just the worst and so i i don't know just kind of like some random stuff like we deployed we started testing stuff on windows and we noticed that high resolution displays it's the the little GUI that we have we don't really have any GUI at all it's just like the system indicator but like we noticed that like oh that that is very low resolution like what's going on so you know you go into this rabbit hole and turns out you need to write something called a manifest that you then have to attach to the executable mm -hmm. um, so that was fun and then i don't know so like on mac so you mentioned uh, that we use wx widgets which I think is really really cool project, but it does feel like it, it's it, it's that like eighty percent solution that like you can get really a lot of work done with WX widgets, but to get the last remaining twenty percent, it's a lot of work, and you 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 can run into edge cases. And then so so specifically about WX widgets or maybe the W WX Erlang, so the Erlang bindings to it. Since we we are using it, so it's like you know it's our app, and there is the WX Erlang, and then there is the WX widgets. So it's kind of like you know these layers, these different different projects, and you can hit bugs in and any in any place in these layers. And so again, kind of specifically about WX widgets. So I think it is really nice that is that it is part of Erlang. Uh, again, you know there is that out of the box experience, right? Like it's already there. You can you can do you can just use it. But if there is a bug in WX Erlang, then you need to, and, and you fix it, you need to, you know, you need to fork OTP, you need to build it yourself. So that adds a lot of, lot of work. And then if there is a bug, and we did hit those uh, in WX widgets itself, that's, that's C++, uh, you know. So again, in this particular case, because we, the, the project uh, has these kind of like different layers and you can, in this particular particular case if you run into you know bugs or, or just limitations to be frank it is pretty hard to peel off those layers to 
it is hard to make changes. It's turtles all the way down. Uh, that's true, yeah. <laughs> so like, did you also, I mean, you just said like when you fix a bug, for example, in, in WX Erlang, then you need to fork OTP yourself. So yeah. did you actually have to do that? Is this something? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. And did, did Are you planning on like merging those upstream or did that already happen? We have, uh, so we had some PRs already merged. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. We have some kind of pending PRs, like, like we are waiting for feedback. But yeah, we are trying to, we're trying to upstream as much as possible. Yeah, yeah um, makes sense. It's actually funny that it, yeah, uh, it's funny that you mentioned it because um, we, so one of the, I mean, it might be of some interest, one of the rec recent works in the live book desktop space was that we are, uh, so like up to, up to this point, all of the releases of live book desktop, which I think was just, I, I think it was frankly just one release or maybe two, uh, they were all done out of my out of my machines so i was mm -hmm. like the you know the bottleneck the point of failure the single point of failure so uh, what we were recently doing is we were uh, trying to automate uh, the build the building part so we do that with github actions um and so right now i i kind of remembered about this just because like we automated everything including building otp itself exactly because we need to run our own patch patched otp there is just like a very small change that we needed but um but we are hoping to upstream we are ho hoping it, it's gonna it's gonna land but um but yeah so like speaking about our automation uh, we we are building yeah so we are building for windows we are building for mac on mac specifically since i think two years ago there is the there is the well th there are two different architectures mm. basically so we have the the old so to speak, Intel Max, and we have the new Apple Silicon Max. And up to this point, we uh, had two uh, inst installers, one per architecture. Uh, something kind of cool that we are working on that we are going to. I mean, it's all done, but we are yet to announce it. Um, is we were able to create a what they call universal binary. So it's a, a universal in the sense it contains the code for either architecture. And as a matter of fact, again, because we are building our own OTP, uh, we uh, had uh, we built like a universal OTP for for Max. So it's a it's a distribution of OTP of OTP that all That's of the cool. native parts work on both architectures. Did you just leak something? Is that what I just heard? You said you didn't, didn't even announce it yet. <laughs> yeah, you heard it here first. Woohoo! <laughs> Finally, something comes our way. We we got some breaking news. I'm gonna tweet this to my mom tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that sounds really exciting. Is this? This? I I mean, the way you know phrased it, it kind of sounds like something which could also be available in general down the road for like when you install OTP yeah. in the system. Yeah. So uh, right now it's uh, kind of all. Uh, right now it's uh, all specific to Livebook, uh, just mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you know we are we are the main user, and again we use this patched OTP. But what I'm hoping is to eventually make these binary builds uh, for Mac available to everyone. So I think I think what's going going to happen is we're going to integrate it with the with Hex. So in the Hex team we have the like a little project called Bob. Like Bob the Builder. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask if Bob was involved actually, but I was like, no, don't be stupid. I think it's only for something else. Yeah, so it, it is and it isn't. Like it's like in the it's going to be kind of like this uh in, in the area of expertise of Bob, so to speak. So, so, so like, example, do, you, do, 
do you want to give people like a 10 second introduction what Bob does? Because I'm not yeah, sure right. anybody sure. knows. Uh, absolutely. So, so Bob helps with automating some of the, like it does automation for some of the parts of the like Elixir Hex ecosystem in the, in the sense that, for example, when there is a new, when there is a new Elixir release, Bob builds the, Bob, Bob compiles the Elixir on, on specific OTP versions and makes them available on uh, repo.hex.pm. Uh, so a lot of tools are using that repo.hex.pm as the upstream source to, tools like ASDF, uh, but even I think the, a lot of Docker images, like the official Docker uh, images are, I think, pulling from from that. Bob also, do, so speaking of Docker images, Bob also, okay, this is more than 10 seconds, but uh, if someone was ordering, Hex uh, team manages like the unofficial Docker images, and we have a ton of these because we are very strict about, uh, like we basically try to pin all of the dependencies, so you might have a uh, you can pull from Hex uh, Docker registry an image something an image like Elixir one fourteen o slash OTP slash twenty five point o point four slash so it's like very uh, it's very ver- verbose but like that's by design because it's very important to pin these dependencies yeah, um, yeah. and again. I can definitely yeah. say just as like an, a user experience, like since since these images are available, those are my go-to default because it just yeah. removes the whole layer of friction about where you like we need to guess okay what what kind of OTP version does this now use, what kind of uh, airplane right. does this now use or whatever, yeah. just this exact thing and it just works. So already yay. <laughs> yeah. So right, and then to kind of bringing back to live book desktop and stuff like turns out having very particular versions of dependencies is pretty pretty important so that's that's what, what we are trying to solve with desktop but um yeah uh, in any case we are trying to make these mac builds available to everyone oh and it, it is very important to mention so we have so we built the the in, on intel max we we just use uh, github but for the apple silicon we use mac stadium and mac stadium has a kind of open source uh, program and they were kind enough to to let us in so thanks to max stadium for providing us with the machina cloud to uh, to build the, the images i'm just looking at the website so that basically it's like a cloud hosting s- service specifically for Macs, right yeah, like the, yeah. yeah interesting I'm okay. kind of curious about which platform has been the most painful to work with i'm guessing it's probably windows or mac probably mac for some weird reason it's it's tough I think, so for me, I think Windows was tougher just because I have zero experience, like zero recent experience with Windows. So, and then like, it was in, in a way like also tougher because I didn't, you know, I, don't, I didn't have a PC. So it was like all in a VM. Uh, so it was kind of, mm. kind of annoying. But like from the, from the technical side, I think it is hard to judge which one was tougher. It's just like you you basically run into different problems in different in different places. Yeah, they both have their wrinkles and warts. I yeah, guess, def- right? definitely both have their wrinkles. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And so we now talked about like, okay, how are you going to fork OTP? How are you battled with, with getting the, the, the last twenty percent? And and now now this thing is out there and available to everyone, right? So, yeah. what do you feel is like next? Next step from from here on, like what is the thing you would like to do tackle next, and and where do you see this going? Uh, sure. So so as far as next steps, like we are not quite there yet, but uh, we we would like to extract out the up bundle part so that mm-hmm. it 
you know, so that everyone could could use it. And in terms of in terms of uh, like where the livebook desktop. Uh, so yeah, as as I mentioned, we want to make the Mac builds available to to everyone. This is something that may or may not happen, but frankly, it would be very nice if we could have livebook on something like an iPad. Um, oh yeah, can imagine. So I don't know. Maybe you you heard it here first, but um, <laughs> yeah, it would be. Now you're just playing with me, right? I know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, we are definitely not. We are definitely not not announcing it or anything like that. But like speaking for myself, I think it would be extremely extremely cool, and it, it could just be maybe like the next. I, I mean, this is like you know maybe like super over the top, but like if Livebook Desktop is maybe potentially bringing more people to you know Livebook or or drawing to Elixir, maybe something like. Live book on a on an iPad, you know, this pretty cheap device that a ton of people have could maybe um, help with adoption as well. So that that sounds promising. And like you said, you wouldn't want to expect this app bundler part. About, uh, is this like I mean, this is for like building the the, the native kind of different cross platform kind of versions, right? Uh, no, but no, does so this also contain the the desktop app kind of kind of thing like yeah so specifically a bundler is about uh just creating the um, like the distribution it's more about the distribution uh, part so mm-hmm. again like creating this package and putting otp in the right place putting the, your application in the right place mm-hmm. creating about of these different configuration files and and all but it's strictly not about the ui like with the ui uh, you would still use something like wx widgets or or, or something else like yeah, so so that that's something that 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 we would uh, uh, that we are also exploring uh, how to make a bundler maybe like it, it is not very uh, very connected like technically speaking it's it's kind of agnostic but it is like the WX widgets is like the only uh, only real use case at the moment to use it so kind of exploring how maybe it would look like with using not WX widgets but still you know having a bundler like me personally uh, I, I haven't looking into it at all but there is the uh, scenic uh, library uh, about about like building um, you know OpenGL basically and stuff like mm-hmm. I, w- I would be like personally I would be I- I'm keen on seeing if maybe you know we could bundle up a scenic app with bundler um, that would kind of cool maybe pretty cool pretty cool um, definitely something I think a lot of people are going to keep their eyes open for. And it kind of leads me to my next question, because, I mean, you have Livebook Desktop, we, we have uh, Elixir Desktop, which, I mean, a lot of what we what you just thought about is like kind of standing on the shoulder of, of giants, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but is now the era of Elixir Desktop apps? Is that the next oh, thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say that, yeah. So that's a very tough question, because people may, like like with the desktop, I would say this that um, it is it is definitely something that is not easy yet to build the desktop apps in Elixir. I think to build like really like native desktop apps, it is probably going to be very not easy for a very long time, and and maybe maybe forever. Like and I specifically mentioned building desktop apps in in terms of like using all of the. GUI elements uh, like you know building mm-hmm. like all of the buttons, windows, and stuff like that. That stuff is hard because uh, so, so for example with the WX widgets, uh, it's like it is it is hard because all of these uh, GUI 
because all of these GUI frameworks tend to be they tend to be written in something like C++ and they tend to you know use like object-oriented programming and sometimes like some of the kind of a lot of like the details about the paradigm kind of leak so like maybe you can only implement certain functions certain things by subclassing and like we cannot really emulate that very well so there is that mm-hmm. there is that friction on the other hand I am very um, uh, like on the on the other hand, I'm very helpful about the approach that they have with the Live View native that they uh, that Docker just announced with on the on the Elixir Conf, which is kind of which is building the native parts like in the in the native language and but then kind of having some kind of communication. I think this is this this is a pretty good idea. But um, but yeah, kind, kind of Elixir on the desktop. I would say writing you know like all of the controls windows and stuff like that using native apis is probably a bad idea at the moment because it's going to be really hard to hit that that final 20 percent unless you are using something like live view native then i wouldn't do it with live view native i i have much much better hopes but then on the other hand the, the thing that elixir desktop do, does which is kind of it's just like it, it's just a little wrapper it's just like a web view window and then you do the ui inside you do the UI with Phoenix, you know, with Phoenix Live View or something like that. That 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 is very very much more appealing. Yeah, I, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens, right? But I, I mean, <laughs> it's I, I just was under the impression that a lot of work has now been going into like also bringing some of the ecosystem onto like a desktop kind of app. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say uh, yeah, I wouldn't say that we are that we are done, <laughs> like not, <laughs> no, not, no, not no. by a long shot, but I think we, we are in a much better place than we were, you know, a couple of years ago. And I, I think, like for me personally, that that's definitely an area of, of interest to basically have this much better story uh, of addiction on the, mm. like in the desktop uh, space. Mm. Yeah. I think like Life Initiative, as far as I know, they're basically reviving Lumen for this, right? Like where they take take this thing I don't think so. kind of compiling to Wasm and then but yeah, details. Yeah, I, I, I might be wrong, but I don't think that's it. I think this is more like they implement uh, the native uh, the native controls in, in, in so they, they just started with iOS. So they implemented all of the controls in Swift, but then uh, they have a way to communicate so, so like all, all of all of the GUI is done with with uh, with Swift, but then like the server uh, is actually in control, and oh, so there's okay. like a communication between the client and the server. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, I haven't really dug too deep into that, so maybe some people who are listening to this right now are like, "Ah, it's all wrong." But yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I guess I was just that person. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> but, um, but but no, I I, I cannot em- emphasize this enough. I th- I think this is a very good approach because then like b- because then they can focus on the on the uh, on on the Swift code and kind of like make that. Or rather, it's more maybe a little bit about more about control. Like, and and they, they with na- uh, Live View Native, they do give you some control. So the the difference maybe with WX widgets is that uh, with Live View, you you kind of like start an Xcode project and you actually have like Swift code and then you kind of call into Live View Native. But but you can also write your own Swift code, and this is very appealing to me. Okay. I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> like, uh, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a Stockholm syndrome here, but um. But being able to write native code as part of your project is very cool because if you hit bugs, you have a much better chance to fix them. Or if, if as opposed to again, you know, forking out key or something. Yeah. So I'm pretty pretty hopeful about this. Pretty exciting. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you have any anything you would like to to add to 
what we already talked about, Wojtek or Alan, any any questions you would like to ask? Otherwise, I would slowly transition us to picks since we're nearing no, the one hour mark. I did record a separate podcast with Brian um, Carterella, I think is how you say his last name, about Live View Native. Um, oh, nice. I don't know if I should just self-pick my thing, but uh, he talks more about how it all works. And, and uh, there's already an example project online you can take a look at. They're already working on Jetpack Compose for Android. I did ask him if he'd be interested in having a Flutter version, and he very much did not like that idea. He thinks native is all the way to go. And that's that's fine. I understand his style. But uh, it is kind of cool. Like You write this kind of like very much XML, HTML-inspired kind of language for each platform. So I think kind of like the bad part is like you have to, you know, really make it towards the UI for like the native platform. But at the same time, that's kind of usually the better experience, right? It should be. But it's weird because you're not writing Swift code, you're writing like HTML with different kind of tags, something like that, if you've seen it before. So it's a little bit weird. Yeah, if I if, if I may jump in, I, I think this is, oh yeah, it, it is a little bit weird, but it is like, uh, so uh, you write Hicks templates, basically, that are not really HTML. It's like this, yeah, like a description of what's on the screen. But uh, it, it is pretty interesting where like the industry seems to go, right? Like with Swift UI, you have this declarative thing. And then with Jetpack Compose, you have this declarative thing as well. So I mean, might, might as well. Yeah, and, and no way am I saying it's a bad thing. It's just like, it's a little yeah. bit weird, right? That's really the big thing. Yeah, but just one comment. So what Brian said, like, like go native. I can, <laughs> I, I approve of that message. So, so don't go WX widgets, go native, right? Yeah, I think so. Because, or, or <laughs> like go WX widgets, but have a way to have, have a way to fix bugs or missing features yourself as part of your app. Because otherwise, it is very painful to maintain like the whole build process. Because again, right, like part of OTP. So if you need to fix something in WX widgets, you need to OT- build that WX widgets, build OTP with that WX widgets, and then build your app with that OTP. Yeah. Um, I guess that that's, that's, it's co- exactly the opposite of what you said at the very beginning, right? The out-of-box experience is not right. great. <laughs> yeah. It's not... Yeah, I'm kind of curious about the OTP team. Are they pretty okay with like upstreaming the changes? Because uh, I've heard good and bad things about working with the OTP team. Like they have their own style and stuff. And but I, I mean, obviously you got to continue to patch up for whatever reason. So I can't imagine that the experience must be too bad. Oh no, I think the like all of my interactions with OTP were uh, were fantastic. Uh, basically, in the in this particular particular case of like the WX widgets. I think it's probably low, pretty low priority for them. Like they, you know, the I'm pretty sure the WX widgets in Erlang exists because they want to use it in Observer and in the debugger. But other than that, like besides these use cases, I don't think it's uh, it's a lot of priority. So I, I, yeah, I would I would say that. So between supervisor bug PR and upstreaming your changes, they just kind of. <laughs> Nobody really uses WX widget. Yeah, yeah, which is totally understandable. Yeah. yeah, but still exciting though. I'm curious to see if Erlang side does anything too. I mean, I don't know if they actually work on anything that Elixir kind of spearheads besides the documentation. That was pretty huge, I think. Not not sure either. Uh, but yeah. uh, what, what I do know though is that the, the, there is definitely a lot of conversations, a lot of collaboration uh, between the uh, between the teams. Uh, like, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's really cool. I think that like. You know, people can just like ask questions to the OTP team. It's a possibility, especially with the especially with the 
so the Erlang ecosystem foundation uh, has a bunch of different working groups there is there is one about build and packaging and so uh, for example there was a john from the from the team available on many, many meetings kind of helping out with the rebar team as well yeah i, th- I think there is uh there is a nice uh, collaboration between different teams for sure but the one thing I think is a little bit funny, though, is it reminds me of the old joke we used to npm install Bower to manage your front end thing. And we do do that a little bit with Mix, right? We have to mix local rebar in order to compile our Erlang code, which is a little bit kind of weird, right? It is right, but again, like this out of the box experience. Like if if it was up to me, I think rebar should be part of OTP, and if it would be part of OTP, then we wouldn't have to local rebar install it. But then everybody be wondering, why do I have rebar and rebar three? But where the heck is rebar two? Oh yeah, rebar. Yeah, I'm aware of the story, but I, I, people <laughs> yeah, who don't know, yeah. it's like <laughs> yeah. If if it would be totally up to me, I think rebar three should be renamed to rebar, and then the Old rebar just forgotten. <laughs> like, but but it's time. I think it only works on like OTP. I don't know, seventeen maybe or something. So at this moment, it's like nobody no, nobody should be using that uh, anyway. Doesn't I do have one vouchers. one last question? Um, why is it that they always do mix local dot hex? Uh, I never really looked into it. I'm just kind of curious since you're here and talking about this stuff. Why do we have to do mix local hex? Yeah, exactly. When we and before we talk to hex, is it because there's like some API changes or something that may happen? No. So hex is not part of Elixir, so you need to you need to install it, which you can do with mix local hex. So Elixir does ship with like a like a very tiny shim. Uh, I, I mean, it's not really a shim. It's just like a lot of, just a little bit of integration that like like we know that you're gonna install hex dependencies, but if you don't have the hex installed then it will tell you that you need to mix local hex uh, to install it. But what mix local hex does, it just downloads the hex uh, hex archive. And so, yeah, so in this particular case, right, like, I don't know, one could ask, ask uh, maybe hex should be part of Elixir. Maybe it should, maybe it shouldn't. I, don't, I think it's good that it's not part of the Elixir because we can have a different release schedule and stuff. And it, it is kind of orthogonal as well. Like, Fair enough, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But then also, I think, I mean, like, yeah, we, we just talked about the expense, like local Reaper, local Hex. At the end of the day, when, when you run this stuff locally, like, I mean, the, the, the Mix even asks you, hey, seems like this is an early dependency, right? You need to install Reaper mm-hmm. for that. Want to, should go ahead? So yeah, could be better, I guess. Maybe you should be bundled with, with OTP or not. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, again, out of a box experience, I have to press Y once. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so <Yeah>. whatever. <laughs> yeah. I think it's already... It's already like light years better than some of the other platforms where like, you get yeah, and, build uh, messages. I, yeah, I, actually, I think that I don't know if there were any like conversations uh, about this, but I don't I don't see a reason why uh, like when you I don't know when you maybe mix get depth get for the first time and you don't have log you don't have rebar or you don't have hex. I don't see a reason why we maybe by default we should just install it for you if you maybe it should just be installed like it's kind of like still separate projects and stuff but you know we just remove this you know friction because like i mean like if you already have a project you don't have you you, you clone a project you you depths get you're not you're you're not going to say no to installing hex mm, so you mm. know if you always say yes then maybe maybe you shouldn't even have to choose but that's I the thing know. I never I, really understood. Like when I go to like a government thing and I have to pay for something, they're like, "Is that okay with you?" And I always ask them, "Do I have a choice?" And they say, "No." Yeah. So why do you even ask me? Just take my money and and make me feel bad. Why do you have to ask me? Like I willingly want to do this. 
<laughs> okay, peeps. I think this is this, this is where we cut it off. <laughs> Josie's going to be not happy with you and me. I think after this, oh, you know why we did this stuff. <laughs> okay. So yeah, let, let us transition to picks. Oh wait, like one last thing. Um, Wojtek, if people want to reach out and get in touch with you, right? How can they do that? Uh, sure, uh, you can find me at Twitter. Uh, this is at Wojtek Mach. Uh, it's, the, it's the same on GitHub or uh, Elixir. Yeah, I, I think t- Twitter is probably the best the best way to, to reach out. Great. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Okay, now picks. Alan, I guess I'm going to start off with you and feel free to pick this one episode you just like this recording I talked about earlier because I think it's relevant. Yeah. Which episode was that? Again? Oh, that one? Oh, but it's not out yet. Yeah, I could pick that one. So I'm going to do two picks, right? One is that episode. So I have a podcast called Flying High with Flutter, all about Flutter. When I saw this thing released, I thought it would be really, really cool to to kind of show. Because I like to bring other technologies on to see what's the difference, right? Which one could be better, et cetera. But I did have another one, which is something called Tauri. Have you guys heard this one before? T-A-U-R-I? Nope. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, when I saw this, I was thinking that it's very similar. And I'm sure you guys must be able to learn things from each other or whatever. So I think it's a pretty cool, like, it's very similar where you use a web technology to to do your app, but they do all their stuff with Rust. So I think it's a pretty cool thing to also take a look at. So that's kind of my two picks then. Nice. I have to be honest, I don't really have a pick this week. Um, so I'm just going to hand it over to you, Wojtek. Do you have any picks for our listeners? I have two picks. The first is a, a talk uh, from the from the current, uh, from the Elixir Conf 2022. It's a talk uh, called Time Algebra by Kip Cole. And I just wanted to say it was, it was, uh, I had a great time <laughs> watching this talk. Kip, Kip is fantastic. So he's, uh, he's maintaining the Elixir's TLDR uh, and like, a bunch of other libraries. So I, I, I actually used to work, uh, in that, in that domain, like around time and scheduling and stuff like that. So I think the, yeah, the, the talk was super, super interesting to me. And he did a fantastic job. Uh, like it was very entertaining as well. So yeah, go watch the... I, I don't think the videos are out yet, but when they are, uh, should definitely check uh, Time Algebra by Keep Call. And my second pick is... So this is kind of random, but um, I really like this. Uh, it's a kind of a little bit like science fiction novel. Or it's a two-part, uh, two-part novel. So it's a... Uh, Demon and Freedom by Daniel Suarez. Um, I, it's, I mean, somewhat old. I, I think it's 2005 or 2006. The, the first novel came out. So I, I only picked this because I really like this book. It's kind of like my comfort read. I read it a bunch of times and I, I like to kind of go back and just, you know, read it again. It's kind of interesting, especially nowadays, uh, like in the last couple of years with like the whole AR, VR, multiverse and, and stuff like that. The, the book touches touches on those subjects, AI obviously as well. Um, so I don't know, kind of kind of thought when you asked me to, to have some picks, I immediately thought about this book. Interesting. I always like, uh, f- fiction books are always something which which I like to put on my reading list because yeah, really good has... fiction books which catch your attention 
how rare yeah. for me. Yeah, so so for me, uh, what, what was especially kind of cool was that Demon uh, was like the first novel from that author. Like, so that was his, yeah. And I would say it was pretty good. Nice. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to check that one out. So, yeah, thank you for being on the show, Wojtek. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. And then I hope you all enjoyed it and tune in next time when we have another episode of Elixir Mix. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.